Good morning. morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the praise that you've put on our lips. That's coming from our hearts. We thank you that you've given us every reason to be thankful. That you've given us every reason to praise you and worship you, to come close to you, to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that every bit of our breath would praise you, Lord. And you tell us that even if we didn't, the rocks would cry out. So we pray that the rocks wouldn't have to cry out, Lord. We pray that our praise would be a sweet-smelling aroma to you. And Lord, I pray for those here this morning that may be having a tough time praising and thanking. I pray for those who are going through a hard time, dark, gloomy times. I pray that today they would set their heart and minds on the things above. I pray for the light of salvation to enter their hearts and their minds. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that has never received you as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that you administer to them now. And as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would impart these truths to our heart, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Can you say hello to someone, please? All right. Have a seat, everyone. All right, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of, starts with an L, Leviticus. Yes, when was the last time you were in Leviticus on a Sunday morning? So, while you're turning there, I do have a few announcements. All right, you ready for the announcements? Church Christmas party, that's for everyone and everyone's friends and everyone's families and everyone that you want to bring. It's December 10th. It's a Sunday at 4 p.m. right here at the fellowship. So I look forward to seeing you all for that. Today is the last day for our Operation Christmas Child. And so as we get those boxes in, let's be in prayer for those boxes to minister to the hearts of those who receive it and that there would be salvation in those boxes. This Wednesday, we are not having service I also would like, I haven't done a good job of announcing this, but every, we just started every third Thursday of each month, we started up again our corporate intercessory prayer here at church. And uh, we had a, a great time this past Thursday. The hearts were on fire to intercede for you and the Lord, uh, or petition the Lord for things going on, and so every Thursday. And uh, the way I think of it, and I probably think of this because 
It was once asked Charles Spurgeon what the secret of his success was. And if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, he was a minister in the 1800s known for his preaching and his power and his strength of his church in, in London. And when people would ask him what the secret was, he would take them to a basement in his church and he would show the people that asked him that room. And in that room would be people praying. And so I like to think of Thursday night prayer as sort of the engine of our church. And so every third Thursday at 7 o'clock here at church, 7 to 8 o'clock. And then the last thing is right now we have a group of people from our church that are going down to San Antonio. They're on their way now. And they're going to minister with one of the missionaries that we support down in San Antonio. And he ministers to young ladies that are troubled. And so I pray for the team that's going down there. And uh, while we're at it, why don't we just pray all together for that? So Heavenly Father, now we ask for the team going down that you just watch over them. And we pray just for all the details in what they're going to do and the organization. But most importantly, Lord, we pray that those girls would come to know Jesus. And so we pray that you would anoint the team going down there, fill them with the, whole, the Holy Spirit and empower them to preach and share the gospel and share the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're deviating from our normal verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Luke. And in light of Thanksgiving this Thursday, we're going to look at what the Bible says about giving thanks. And we're going to do that from the very beginning of where thanks began, and that's in the book of Leviticus. The title of the message this morning is, Oh, Thank Heavens for Leviticus 7-11. And I don't know if you've ever been that thankful for Leviticus 7:11, but I hope after today you will be. Because in Leviticus 7:11 we have details about giving thanks. In Leviticus 7:11 the children of Israel were being taught to give thanks. Isn't it interesting that that we need to be taught to do that. And we'll see that it's, it's more than just a simple you know, passing of words to, to God or somebody. It's much deeper than that. And as we look at this, we know that what we find in the book of Leviticus, if you've ever went through the book of Leviticus, we're starting a new year and pretty soon and a couple months, and we like to go through as a church body the one-year Bible, and it's not going to be long as you go through the one-year Bible, you start the book of Leviticus, and you'll find some very unusual things there, and maybe some confusing things, which is very understandable, but the point of the book of Leviticus is God was teaching the nation of Israel how to worship. 
As the nation of Israel was just forming, the most important thing for them was not their economy, not building a military, not building houses or any of that. It was to be taught to worship God. And that's the foundation of any person's life, any family, any community, any uh, society. It's, it's, that's the success of a community will be dependent on where God is in worship. Is he in the center or is he somewhere outside of the center? And that will determine this success. And so God goes to great lengths to set up a system to help them to worship. And you may ask yourself that these things seem so odd and so weird. What is the point? But we find that there's a very significant point in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says that the things that happened to them, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, are examples that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So as we look at the Old Testament, we can find the teachings of God are meant for us today to give us an understanding of how God works and what he wants and what he desires. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever things were written before, they were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So that seems like a good reason to dive into the Old Testament, to understand what's going on. And the best way to do that is to understand that the things of the Old Testament are all pointing to Jesus. They are shadows of Jesus. And as we look at the details and we look at the things going on and we may say that seems strange, ask yourself, well, how is this pointing to Jesus? What is this helping us to understand about Jesus. And so as we look at the book of Leviticus, we're going to look at something particular in Leviticus 7, 11 through 18, and it's called the Thanksgiving offering or the thanks offering. We're going to read through the section of scripture together. Leviticus 7, 11. Verse, uh, through verse 18. So it says this. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be offered to the Lord if he offers it for a thanksgiving. Then he shall offer with sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil, besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifices of thanksgiving of his peace offering, and from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord, 
It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings, the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day if it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice, but on the next day the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt." So Leviticus chapter 3 gives us details about how this peace offering should be executed. The details of like an instruction book of how to do it. And again, as we read that, there are a lot of things that just maybe don't connect with us and maybe seem odd or strange. It sounds like there's a lot of cooking going on there. And not only cooking, baking, I guess, it sounds like. But if you read Leviticus chapter 3, it sounds like a butcher shop. But every bit of those details are significant. They all have meaning. They all speak in some way, shape, or form of Christ. They are not just there for random reasons. But if you pull those things forward into the... New Testament, they start to bring forth a clearer picture of Jesus Christ. Particularly, in this section of Scripture, the Lord is teaching the nation of Israel how important it is to be thankful people. That's center to their worship. To be thankful is a part of their worship. And so we have scriptures like Psalm 100, which says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into the gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And so as you read that, you get a sense of the writer bursting with thanksgiving. Seems as if the writer can't contain what he is experiencing in his heart. And that's where thanksgiving occurs. It's in the heart. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us thanksgiving actually has a medicinal quality, if you will, in that it's healing. He says to truly give thanks, not just in our head, but from our heart, is to be helped through times of anxiety and to exchange anxiety with joy. And so this prayer that he encourages us to make instead of being anxious, is sort of emphasized with thanksgiving. Why is that? Because when we pray, the thanksgiving part demonstrates that we're trusting God with that which we are giving to Him. So when we th say, thank you, Lord, at the end, we're saying, Lord, it's your problem now, and I understand and believe and trust that you're going to do with this the perfect and the right thing. Another scripture in Psalm 107, 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. And his mercy endures forever. In Psalm 50, 23, it says, Whoever offers praise glorifies God. So there's a way that you and I can have a, a practice, a habit of constantly glorifying God. And it's simply by offering Him praise. Now, of course, there's a flip side to this. What if we're not thankful? Can we just stay neutral if we're not thankful? It doesn't seem like it in the scripture. It seems like if we're not thankful, we're complaining. And the Bible has a lot to say about complaining. In Numbers chapter 11, not long after the ordinances were given for these offerings of worship to the Lord, it says in Numbers 11, 1 through 3, now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it. Have you ever felt like you can complain in an isolated chamber and the only person that hears it is you or the person you're complaining about? Well, the Lord hears our complaints and he doesn't like it. His anger, it says, was aroused. Is that harsh? That the Lord's anger is aroused when we complain? It's not harsh because to complain is to demean the nature of God. To complain is to rebel against God, who He is, and His plan for our life. Complaining is not just 
some light little thing of us externally processing things. Complaining is what God hears and his anger is aroused because of it. He doesn't like it. It doesn't have a place in the believer's life. It goes on to say, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and it consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Complaining is a big deal. And you put this Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 in the context of what God has done, had done in the, in the lives of the children of Israel. So God had delivered them miraculously, answering their prayers from slavery in Egypt and miraculously took them through the Red Sea and miraculously brought them into the wilderness to grow their faith and to teach them to be strong when they get into the promised land. And yet, when things got tough, they forgot the miracles. They forgot the hand of God. They forgot what God had done. And they would say things like, Lord, did you bring us all the way out here to kill us? We want to go back. We want to be slaves again. Why did they say that? Because they are put in a position where they had to exercise their faith instead of live where they didn't have to exercise their faith. And that right there is what they were rebelling against. Because God would tell them, look, I'm going to take you out, but you're going to have to trust me the whole way. When you were a slave, you didn't really have to trust me because you just did whatever you were told. But something's going to change. And the way you live, the way you understand life is going to change. And the way it's going to change is you're going to live by faith now. So when you get out in the wilderness, I'm going to teach you how to do that. I'm going to give you shoes that don't wear out. I'm going to give you food that appears every day, that has the perfect nutrients for you. It may not be what you like every day, but it's going to be by faith and it's going to be provided. And you can't save any because if you save some, you're not going to trust me for the next provision the next day. And then he would give them a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day and and he would say, when you see those things, go and follow those. He would be directing them. He would be providing for them. And yet, when they really got pressed to exercise their faith, they said, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to go back and be slaves. And then they started to indict God. And they, they, in a way, they were cursing God. And they were indicting God's goodness. And they were saying to God by their complaining that, God, you're not good and you don't like us and your promises aren't what they're supposed to be. And so we're done with this. Trials will do that, won't they? When we get pressed and God is wanting to develop and grow our faith, we'll have a, a tendency to complain. And that will be evidence of where our walk is. 
So in verse 2 of Numbers chapter 11, it says, Then the people, they cried out to Moses, and then Moses prayed to the Lord, and then the fire was quenched. And so he called the name of the place Terabah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. And so this became a routine and a habit of them complaining and Moses interceding and then things resolving a little bit. But they never got to the place where they simply rested in the things of the Lord and trusted him. And it, that really finally revealed itself when they got to the border of the promised land. And God was going to take them in. And yet, because of their fear and lack of trust in God, they didn't go in. And they stayed in the wilderness. This complaining, it's, it's a serious thing. In Philippians 2.14, it says, to do all things without complaining and disputing. And then in Romans... 121, when God's talking about the judgment that he's going to bring and the people that he's going to bring judgment on, it says about these people who had rejected God, it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what happens when we're not thankful? Our thoughts become futile. That means empty or pointless. When we're not thankful, our thoughts become wrong. Our emotions take over. And then our foolish hearts, we become dark. So that's how serious... This is, and I hope we kind of got an idea that we can't just be okay not being thankful and complaining. Because I think, if we're honest, this is something that's hard for all of us. And so let's look at our text. Let's start in verse 11. We're going to point out five things in regards to what this thanksgiving offering teaches us about thanksgiving. So in verse 11, it says, this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. So what is a peace offering? What's going on? What's the mechanics of this whole thing? Well, in Leviticus, there were five different offerings these five different offerings, you can read through the book of Leviticus and it explains them and tells you all about them. And they all have spiritual meanings that are not as obvious right off the bat when you read those. But the five offerings are the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, and what we're seeing here is the peace offering. The peace offering would be one of those Offerings that a person can give in a way where they, they were recognizing this relationship aspect that they had with God. And that's why it's called a peace offering. Now, the, the peace offering, we, we saw that in the text, 
but it has three subcategories. So when one would come with the peace offering, what would they actually do? So they, they would bring one of their animals, Leviticus 3, if you want to read that. So it would be a, a goat or a lamb, and they would bring it to the priest. The individual that brought it to the priest, they themselves would sacrifice the animal right before the priest. And the priest would take the blood from the animal and he would apply that blood to the altar that would at that time be in the tabernacle. So they had an altar at the tabernacle. And he would apply the blood around the altar. And then he would take parts of that animal and he would put it on this altar that had wood underneath it and begin to what we would think of cook it. But that consuming of the animal by the fire would be a picture of a sacrifice and there would be something amazing that would go up. If you ever driven by Heart Eight Barbecue, not Dickies, but Heart Eight, you have to go by Heart Eight or one of your favorite barbecue places, and they have a big smoker out there, or your neighbors cooking in the background or the backyard. So this that was that was part of it because what would go up would be a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. That would mean that this sacrifice would be accepted. And that it was a picture of God being pleased with what was going on. So in the, in the peace offering then, it was interesting because the Lord, the, the, the part that was put on the, the grill or the altar or the barbecue part would be the fatty part. That would be the best part, right? And that would go to the Lord. And then the priest would get a portion of it. He would get a portion of the shoulder and the thigh, and he would be able to eat of that. And then the person that came, then they would get the rest. Now, we saw that it would have to be eaten in a day. And that's a lot of food for that one person, the meat that's left, to eat. So, what would happen is, because it had to be eaten in, in a day, it would be shared with more people. So people were invited to come and partake of this fantastic meal that would be a sacrifice to the Lord. And this was, this was what was called the peace offering. The peace offering had three subcategories. So you can bring a peace offering... And then the three subcategories or something you would do when you're doing the peace offering would be a vow offering. You got that? A vow offering, a free will offering, or a thanksgiving offering. A vow offering would be an offering to where you would say, Lord, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you. It's kind of like... uh, Hannah, when she prayed for a son and then she got a son. And she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate my son to you. And so she did. She brought her son, Samuel. She brought her son to the tabernacle. And then there was a peace offering offered. That was a vow offering. 
And then there, there was uh, something called the free will offering. So that would just be some, something where someone is so filled with the love of God that they would be inspired to do something about it. And so that they would go and perform a peace offering with the subcategory of a free will offering. And then the third would be then what we're seeing here is the Thanksgiving offering. So this would be someone who typically would be rescued or saved from something. And because of that, they wanted to offer to the Lord and just say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. And so with that background, notice what's going on here. This peace offering, it says it's a sacrifice. But then it says, this is the important part. It shall be offered to the Lord. So the first thing that we learn here is that giving thanks is personal. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of people that aren't even believers, maybe even atheists that don't believe in God, but they think that it's a good quality and a good practice just to be generally thankful. In a way, that is. But that's not what this is talking about. What the children of Israel were to understand was that there is a God and that God is being defined to you He's being explained. He's going to be revealed to you in a way so that people will understand and know the God of Israel, that there is one God. And this is how this God is. And this is how this God works. And that was the purpose of the calling of the nation of Israel was to reveal the one true God. And so when one would give a peace offering with the thanksgiving offering in it, it wasn't a general sort of esoteric, any thanksgiving type of attitude. It was they were coming directly and strictly to the one that actually saved them. And so that's where it gets good in our understanding of what's going on here. That when we give thanks to the Lord, we're giving thanks to the one who saved us. So when we start thinking of God in a personal way, when we start to understand that there is this God that is transcendent, that is outside time, space, and matter. There is a God who is not created, but created everything. There is a God who is all powerful, all knowing. There is a God who is controlling all that's going on. There is a God that has a plan that is sovereign, and that there is a God who we'll stand before one day. And the Lord was teaching the nation of Israel that God is personal and he's knowable. 
and he saved us. He saved the children of Israel from bondage to Egypt. And that is all a picture that he was pointing to of our salvation that would come when Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. The nation of Israel, they cried out and a deliverer came, Moses. He's a picture of the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. And he delivered the nation of Israel from a condition that they couldn't deliver themselves from. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. And through God's miraculous work, he saved them. And how did he do it? He did it through the blood that was applied to the doorposts of those homes. So the death angel passed over the homes that had blood applied to their doorposts. And then he saved them through water. All a picture of God's salvation that would come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would bleed. And that blood applied to our life would save us and cover us from the death angel that would come upon us. And not only that, the water that they were saved through is like the water that came out of the side of Jesus as he's on the cross and they pierced his side and out came blood and water. All a picture of Jesus coming to bear our sins on the cross. And so you'll notice that this peace offering is mingled with the thanksgiving offering. In other words, you couldn't just give a thanksgiving offering without the peace offering. The thanksgiving offering was part of the peace offering. And so we can't truly give thanks to the Lord the way the Bible says, unless... We have peace with God. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. And because of that, we're separated from God. We don't have peace with God until we come to Jesus. Jesus being the reconciliation between God and man. And when we come to Jesus, and we put our faith in his work on the cross, then what happens is we have the restoration of the condition before the fall of man, before sin entered in. We have communion with God once again. We have fellowship with God once again, all based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And although our bodies are not redeemed yet, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to enjoy fellowship with God until the day that our bodies are redeemed. And the, the, so the first point about giving thanks to God is it's personal. When we say thanks to God, we're thanking the one who saved us. We're thanking the one who's given us peace. We're thanking the one from our heart because of what he's done for us and what he's done for us is what we could not do for ourselves. The second thing 
is we find that giving thanks is sacrificial. Look in verse 12. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, why does he say it like that? Because you can do a peace offering and not the thanksgiving offering. You could do a peace offering with a vow offering or a free will offering or a thanksgiving offering. So he's targeting in on this particular subset of the peace offering. And so if he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So imagine what it would take for you to conduct this thanksgiving offering. So like us now, we can just say, Lord, thank you. But for the thanksgiving offering, for them, they had to actually take one of their animals, a lamb or a goat, and they had to actually take, and they had to take it to the tabernacle. Now for some, just that would eliminate a lot of people from giving thanks because it takes too much work. It's inconvenient. It's going to take away from what, for them, that would be their income. Their animals would be their income. So many would say, you know, I'm just not, that's, that's too much. But if you were to be so filled with gratitude, you just couldn't help it. The Lord saved you, he rescued you from something. You prayed and God delivered you and you're like, I got to do something. And so you get your lamb and you take your lamb and you take it to the tabernacle and then you would have to kill your own lamb. You would have to participate in this offering of thanks to God in a way where it would cost you something. Many times we don't thank God because it doesn't cost us anything or because it does cost us something. What this means is giving thanks can be hard. Giving thanks when things are not going the way we want, when the bottom's falling out, when life is like a tumbleweed, when what we thought was going to be one way is not turned out that way, when our expectations are not met, when things start going south, that's when we really find out who's in control. That's when we really find out where our faith is. So like this Thanksgiving offerer who would have to take of their own resources and and then actually kill their own resource, to give thanks in a sacrificial way may mean that we kill our expectations or the way that we thought something was going to turn out. And we realize and say, okay, that's not the way it was supposed, supposed to be. Thank you, God. Thanks be to God. And that then 
is to begin to start to really understand what it means to truly be thankful in a godly biblical way, putting God in the center of our life and trusting him implicitly for his plan and the working that he's doing in our life. It's not natural, is it? If you have a little one, what's natural for a little one is complaining. It's not natural for a little one. You have to teach them to give thanks. It's not, they don't generally give thanks. They're usually telling you everything that's wrong. They're usually telling you everything that they don't have. You have to teach your kids. And you tell them, say thank you, thank you, say thank you. And you have to tell them that over and over again. And then the first time you hear them say it on their own, you're like, whoa, they said thank you. You're all surprised. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. He said thank you or she said thank you. So it's not natural to do that. But what it is, is in our new life with Christ. That's what it's in. It's not natural in our flesh, but it's normal in our new life with Christ, the life that has been saved and redeemed and is led by the Spirit. So this is what the Lord is teaching the children of Israel and teaching us today, that giving thanks is personal, but it's going to be sacrificial a lot of times. We're going to have to give thanks where it's hard, where it's costly, where it's difficult. And that is where our true faith emerges. The next thing that we see is giving thanks is the work of the Spirit. So notice what's said next as this Thanksgiving offering. This is unique to the Thanksgiving offering. So if you're just doing a a peace offering, without the Thanksgiving offering, you wouldn't be doing this. This is unique to the Thanksgiving offering. So part of the sacrifice that I explained with the animal that the person would bring to the tabernacle and they would slay their own animal and the blood from that animal would be given to the priest and the priest would put the blood of the animal around the altar and parts of the animal would go on the part that would, that would cook the meat and that would go up to the Lord and then the priest would take some to himself, the shoulder and the thigh, and then the rest would go to the person bringing it and they would share it with their friends and family and it would be amazing. They would be having a Thanksgiving dinner. But then, particular to the Thanksgiving offering is now the baking part. So it really is like Thanksgiving. So you got the turkey, now we're going to get into the pies and the rolls and all that stuff. So he says, unleavened cakes mixed with oil. What does that mean? In the next three items that we're going to see that were part of the Thanksgiving offering, oil was a part of each one. What is oil in the New Testament? It's the Holy Spirit. And so they're told, in addition to the peace offering that we just explained, you're going to have these unleavened or these cakes. 
and they're going to be mixed with oil. Unleavened means, in typology, no sin. In other words, these, these cakes that you're going to bring, like little bread, like pitas, you're going to make them yourself. So more effort, more sacrifice to give thanks. And you're going to bring them, bring them yourself, and you're going to, it, it's important you, you make them with oil. So what this suggests to us is what we can be thankful for in the particular work of the Holy Spirit, and it's the work of sanctification. Or what that means is, after we're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and works in the life of the believer to bring the believer into a condition that's more like Christ. That's called sanctification. It's a process after one gets saved of God working inside of a Christian. And so when someone becomes a Christian, they'll notice things are a little different. Some of the things they used to like to do, they don't like to do those as much. Some of the things that were so amazing aren't as amazing anymore. And in place of those things are some other things that you used to think weren't amazing. And now you think they're amazing. So you would never go into a church. And if you did, it was because someone dragged you and you couldn't wait to get out. But when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then you have a desire to be with the people of God, a desire to read the word of God, a desire to praise God, a desire to serve God, a desire to be obedient to God. So that's the change. So these unleavened cakes, these are, are, are to be brought as a reminder of our sinless condition before God. Even though practically we're, we still struggle with sin in our bodies, but God is at work, as we see the oil mixed in, God is at work in sanctifying us and making us more like Him. So we can give thanks for the process that God is working in our life, and He loves us so much that He's working to sanctify us. And this is a place that many of us stop being thankful because the process of sanctification, the more we hold on, the more we start or want to stay in control, the harder it is. And we become rebellious to God. And we are in the flesh. And God says, I don't want you to be in the flesh. I want you to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit and the plan that I have for your life. And so we get challenged in these positions. Are we going to surrender to God's will or our own will? And as we surrender to God's will, we say, Lord, your will be done. I'm not in control anymore. I'm not dictating and I'm not going to be the one who's trying to make everything happen. Then what we start to grow in sanctification and we thank God for that. So when, some, when the Lord is working in our hearts against something that we think or want or desire, then we can be thankful for that. But not only that, look what he says next. So, these unleavened cakes, they were mixed with oil, so they're to bring them with that peace offering. And then he says, unleavened wafers, so that's more thin. And that was also to be anointed with oil, not mixed 
with oil like previously. So anointed with oil. In other words, soaked in oil. So what does this refer to? So this is something that we can be thankful for too and something the children of Israel would be, have been cognizant of when they brought these unleavened wafers, these thin wafers that were anointed with oil. See, these wafers anointed with oil because they're so thin, they would be sort of see-through, but not totally see-through. And what that would suggest is this was a picture to the offerer that's giving these wafers anointed with oil that although they see things now, they don't completely see them as they will be. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am also known. So what this gives us is hope. It tells us that the way things are now in this world, even as believers, is not what they're going to be in eternity in heaven. That means that because of this particular part of the offering, we look forward to what God has in store for us. Our future hope in heaven. And then the last thing that we see in regards to the bringing of these baked items, he says, or cakes blended with flour mixed with oil. So now a little different thing that they're supposed to bring, and it was fine flour. That's what it means. It was mixed with fine flour and oil was put in there. But in the the correct wording of this verse, the old King James actually has it. It was actually fried. It actually says that in the old King James. So now you have an addition, this final piece of baked good where it's put in oil and it's fried. And this tells us how the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit is our help when we get into our fiery trials. So when we're going through life and things are difficult and hard, then what happens is we have the Holy Spirit who is always there that we can cry out to and He will always help us. He will be an ever-present help in time of need. And so these are things that we can be thankful for. These are more in-depth understanding of a life of one who is a thanksgiving master, a black belt in thanksgiving. There's two more things. So verse 13, So besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leaven bread with the sacrifice of the thanksgiving of his peace offering, and from it he shall offer one cake from the offering as a heave offering. That just means up and down. So the, he would give these baked items to the priests and they would wave them up and down and then the wave offering would be side by side. What does that look like? Heave offering, wave offering. Yeah. But we're not going to focus on that right now. So he'd, the priest would have these this leavened bread, he would raise it to the Lord 
And then it says, it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. So what is going on here? So leaven, that would be so weird to bring something leaven to the priest. Leaven is a picture of sin. This was only one of two offerings that, that were prescribed to have leaven in it. But what this is saying is, and it was a reminder of the grace of God. That although we are sinners, that God saved us in our sin, that it was all by grace and not by works. It would be a reminder as they bring this leaven to the priest, it would be a reminder of that's their condition. And that's why we can't be saved by works. Because works cannot save us, but it would be a reminder of what they're giving to that priest Their giving to the Lord is their sin. And so it would be by grace that they would be saved, not by works, lest any man boast. And then the final thing that we're going to see is in verse 15. It says, The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it's offered. So that large piece of meat that many people would have to gather to eat, it'd have to be all eaten the same day. What does that mean? That means that our thanks to the Lord must be continuous. It must be a lifestyle. It must be fresh. And for that is the need for fresh encounters with God. To freshly thank Him for all His benefits. To freshly glorify Him. We don't want any stale bread. We don't want stale, rotten meat. And so to give thanks is to be in a way where it's fresh, it's from the heart, and it's continuous as we are told that we are to give thanks in all things. And so as we put this all together, we find that for the believer in Jesus Christ who has surrendered to the will of God, giving thanks is a joy. Giving thanks is a pleasure. Giving thanks restores our soul. It reminds us of who's in control. And I remember the story of Corey Ten Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, but when she was in the concentration camp, the conditions were so bad. It is so isolated and desolate. They lived in these bunks. And it was wall-to-wall women in there. The sanitation was terrible. The beds were terrible. They couldn't sleep well. They couldn't eat well. Many were going mad. And her sister, Betsy, she would pick fleas off of her. Their particular bunk was infested with fleas. And Corey Tim Boom would 
be so upset. Why, how could you thank God for fleas? I hate these fleas. They're itchy. Every time I move, I feel them. When I'm trying to sleep, they're moving. What is the deal with these fleas? And she said to be thankful for the fleas. And what they found out later was that was the one bunkhouse where the Nazi officers did not go in because of the fleas. And they were able to have Bible studies. They smuggled in a Bible study, and many of those ladies in that bunkhouse got saved. And so be thankful for the fleas too, because God has a bigger plan that we might not know. And as we surrender to God, we can be free from control and our rebellious nature and put God in the proper place of our life. And that's the place of honor, praise, glory, and worship. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. I pray as uh, this week is a national time where we think about Thanksgiving and there are many challenges for many, many of us during this week. For some, it's not all turkey and gravy, it's hardship and grief and difficulty. But Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so regardless of our situation, from our hearts, we can thank you. As a congregation, we do that now. We thank you, Lord, for you are good. Help us never to forget how good you are, Lord. And let us freely and abundantly offer you our praise. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to worship the Lord. If anybody is here this morning is, has never received the free offer of Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven, I want to encourage you to do that now. Today could be your day of salvation. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That whoever would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead, that they would be saved. So if you're not saved, if you don't know where you're going when you die, don't play around with your salvation. Settle it now. And cry out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Save me. I put my trust in you. Let's worship the Lord. If anybody would like prayer, we have our prayer team up front for you. So God bless you guys.